0: Um, all right. So, um, Tina introduced me as Rona and she's right. We started ministry together in 2011. Uh, that was when SNU was non-existent. KU Emmaus was not existent And the only Emmaus we had was Yonsei Emmaus. And we began with a group of, um, there was eight of us and we began ministering together here at Yonsei and, uh, We weren't even full-time ministers; we were just doing it part-time, and it was it was such a crazy, awesome, and difficult experience together. Um, But God did a lot of amazing things uh, over the semesters that we've been ministering here at Yonsei. Yonsei grew. I don't know if you guys got the history lesson. I'm not sure, but um, Yonsei grew, and then um, we planted SNU. Okay, and I left. I left Yonsei in fall fall 2012 went to SNU, and then a couple semesters later, we planted KU, Cree University Emmaus, okay, and so all of us kind of got dispersed to different campuses, and therefore, you may not have seen some of the other crew members at different campuses yet, if you're new, because we're ministering at other universities, but Yonsei is the most, um, it's the, the, Emmaus that has been here the longest, the most established here, and even before it was called Emmaus, when it was still called YCF, Yonsei International Christian Fellowship, um, there's just so much history and tradition and, um, such a beautiful story that God has written uh, from Yonsei Emmaus. And so what you guys get to partake in is really special. Whether you're a semester student, um, the fact that God let you come to study at Yonsei is a blessing and grace. Let me tell you. And if you're a long-term student here, then all the more reason. Um, there's so many people of great faith of uh, great love for God that has served on this campus, that has been a student on this campus, um, and that has graduated. And they've prayed over the very seats that you guys are sitting in. They've walked and done prayer walks over this campus numerous times so that you could enter into the presence of God and encounter him this semester. And so the seat that you oc- occupy is is a very special one. And um, it's a very special one for me because... In spring 2008, I was an exchange student here at Emmaus when it was called YCF. And um, I was a sophomore. That's a long time ago, right? Um, I was 20 years old. Now I'm 27, all right? And um, it was spring 2008 that I came into this... Um, Not this room, but the basement room. And there was only like 20 or 30 of us at that point. And um, I encountered God that semester and my life was changed from then on out. And little did I know then as a college sophomore that I would be taking over this ministry one day. Uh, If somebody told me that, I would have laughed in their face and said, heck to the no, you know, that scares the crap out of me. Um, So yeah, you guys just better... You never, you never know what God could do when you come to a campus ministry, right? Uh, maybe He won't give you the blueprint right away, but He definitely has a, a crazy journey in store for you. If He's called you here, somehow you find your butt in this chair. It means God has, has divinely, sovereignly orchestrated it. You met the right person. You saw the right flyer. You, I don't know, whatever, so that you could end up in this chair and so that God could could really direct and lead you into His righteousness, into His truth, into knowing Him. So it's very special. Um, And I love being here. I haven't been here uh, in like three years um, since... I think I came once after planting SNU, but um, just being on campus, they remodeled. It's beautiful. Uh, And it's... Honestly, I don't know why Yonsei is so pretty compared to SNU. No, I... I love my campus, but day, as I walked around today, I was like, whoa, this campus is gorgeous. All right. I should, I should probably get started now. <laughs> um, I want to start us off with one question, and the question is, what has payback looked like in your life? What has payback looked like in your life? Okay. Has anyone ever paid you back for something that you did to them? Or have you ever paid anybody back for what they did to you? Let me give you an example. I have an older brother. He is two years older than me. And um, I'm a very strong-willed and stubborn person. If you know me at all, you will figure that out quickly. And even though I was two years younger and smaller than my brother, I always thought I could, I could beat him up. And I would win at every game, okay? And when we had situations where we had to, to, you know, like figure something out or chores had to be done or whatever, he was always stronger and he was always smarter than I. Like every game he won, every punching competition, he won, you know, everything, every basketball, everything, every kai Kaibaibo, he won everything. Okay. And I don't know, like something just snapped in me one day and I was so angry with him and he said one mean thing, one hurtful thing. And I was like, that's it. That's it. You know? And I think I was like in second or third grade, but I was like, it's payback time. And so I would just sit in my room and, and devise schemes of how I would pay him back. But I also knew that I would get, a spanking if i you know did something outright and got caught and i knew i didn't want to get a spanking from my parents that's whenever you know i don't know if that is a word used okay anyway it's discipline from your parents and i i was afraid of that happening so i was like what can i do to to punish him to pay him back for the evil he's done to me without getting caught and so one day like, I got the idea. We were on a family trip or we were going somewhere. And then he was sitting in the back seat with me. And um, he always passed out on any ride, even 15-minute ride, he would be asleep. And so I took my, my bubble gum, chewed it up. I stuck it right next to his head. Okay? And so as soon as he moves over, it gets caught in his head. And then it gets all over his hair. And then he gets home and he's like, what is this in my hair? You know, and my mom is like, Willie, you're so forgetful. You always fall asleep with chewing gum in your mouth. Like, you
1: know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh, no, man, I feel exposed right now. I'm saying I have met Jesus. I'm a changed person. Okay. And then and then she had to cut his hair like close to the scalp. Because you know, like, if you have a um, bunch of gum in your, chewing gum in your hair, like, you can't take it out. So, like, right next to his scalp, she had to snip off his hair. It was so ugly, guys. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't get caught, and I got payback, okay? <sighs> My brother wasn't innocent. He, like, used blackmail. Kids can be mean, all right? I did that gum episode one more time when we had, lived, had bunk beds together. I put it on his pillow, okay? <laughs> So he never knew. He, oh, he, still to this day, unless he listens to this podcast, I think he still believes that he fell asleep with, with gum in his mouth. I know. I'm so, I feel very evil right now. Forgive me, everybody. (laughs) Please heed the word of God I preach tonight, even though, um, I've, I've done such evil things. So, anyway, um, so payback. Payback. Those are some examples of me taking, Taking it into my own hands and avenging the evil that I thought my brother did to me, getting vengeance, payback. all right? Anybody here ever ever paid back anybody in the same way, got revenge? If you have, raise your hand. <laughs> only, only a couple of you. Wow, this is a very holy room. Dang. Okay. Unbi, what did you do? Come here. <laughs> Who raised a hand? Unbi and Bernadette? Yeah. Come up here and share your story with me, please. One more. Anybody else ever get payback? No one else. Okay. Oh, that's okay. That's okay, everybody. These two fearless women will share. No shame. There's no shame. Anybody? Nobody's judging in here, right?
1: Okay. All right.
0: Unbi, share us your payback story.
1: So I have a lot. <laughs> Oh <laughs> but, yeah, and the person' in the room <laughs> uh, uh, it 's not serious, but I was young and very um, I thought I was really smart, <sighs> and then my sister <laughs> oh no i shouldn 't do this I think i <laughs> I remember putting stuff in her food a lot, <laughs> yeah, like she would ask for ketchup she I would put something else oh my gosh it's so mean (laughs) and then I think I like just pushed her a lot from the back (laughs) when she wasn't looking I would run away not bad (laughs) 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 can I share what it was for first a bit. So I have two brothers. I'm a middle child. Nice. Yes. And since I'm the only girl, I got bullied a lot by them. Um, and I remember this one particular time. I came down to my room and there was a ransom note on my door. <laughs> it said, like, all your teddies and dolls have been stolen. Please, please pay $100 or else. Dot, dot, dot. And then I could hear this. <laughs> and both of my brothers had, like, barricaded the door like to their room like with furniture so when i tried to open it i couldn't open it and they were just laughing their heads off like this is the funniest thing ever um and i was like oh my teddies you know and so um payback pretty much i did everything you can think of one example lied cheated stealed, stole stole sorry (laughs) Like, especially, like, so from that day, I was like, they're going to get payback, like, every time, you know? So, stuff like Monopoly, if they go out of the room, I would steal all the money from the banker wow. and be like, <laughs> g- 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 Guess what happened while you are away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to know more, you can ask me later. All right. Man, sin is real, huh? All right. um
0: Yeah, we pay people back, right? Uh, we see that people... Ha- So, I didn't even list what my brother did, but I just remember when you said that he held your teddy bears ransom, my brother took my Barbie dolls and cut off all their hair, okay? I think that's what it was. It was like, okay, you took my Barbie dolls' hair, I'm going to take your hair. (laughs) We can play this game, bro. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I know that we're laughing about this. Uh... (laughs) And when you're a little kid, um, it may be easy for you. It makes sense. Like an evil is done for you, to you. You repay it with evil. Okay. You give an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It makes sense. It's just common sense. So you don't have to, te- you don't have to teach a kid to get revenge, right? When someone pushes you, you push them back. When someone cuts off your Barbie doll's hair, you put gum into their hair and cut <laughs> off their hair. No one had to teach me that, but that was already in my heart to give. It's not hard to pay someone back. It's not hard to take revenge on someone, right? All right, so, <clears throat> um, you know, it's not just as a little kid, though, that I've had revenge, that I've wanted to take revenge. Um, I'm going to make myself vulnerable here and I'm sure you guys have done it too. Okay. This is why I'm saying this, but sometimes when someone makes me mad, um, like just, you know, like when you have those imaginary scenarios in your mind and you're like, if I just saw that person that hurt me or that did me wrong or whatever, you know what I would say to them, I would say, you know, and then you just think about, the cool way to like insult somebody, right? Like a really smart, um, quick, like painful filled words, right? And but then for me though, it, it's so lame because I'm just laying in bed and I'm like, if I saw that person, I would say, You're a mean person. <laughs> you know? And then I, I, this is usually what I think you're, I think you're an idiot and you're just mean and you're ugly okay that's that's as far as i get and then first i realize i am so christian i can't even insult people anymore like that's all i have two the only other thing i can think is at that point when i call someone ugly in my mind i'm working out that scenario in my mind i already feel convicted and i'm like they're not ugly <laughs> they're made in the image of God, you know? So it it just stops there. But I mean, like sometimes, you know, we just think that we have these scenarios of like, if I could just see this person that really did me wrong, I would pay them back with these harsh words. I would insult them, right? Until, unless you're like me, you can't even think of, of cool sounding insults to give, but we know how to pay people back. It's in our human nature. We want to do it. We want to get even. It's what is in our hearts. All right. Um, and what I want to talk about today is I want to Run us through a story of a man that I really love in the Bible, and that's Joseph. And I know that there um this this story of Joseph is very famous and his life is, is uh very well known to many Christians, but I really want to go in deeper and see how Joseph handled payback situations and learn from it. Okay? So if you could turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter thirty-seven, we will begin. <clears throat> I'm going to read us some some passages, some verses from this, (coughs) but um, we're not going to read through all of it because it consists of like six to seven chapters. So one of the first things that happens in Joseph's life, if you're not aware of this story, is that he's born into a big family and he becomes his father's favorite son. His father loves his son Joseph so much that he makes him a robe of many colors and he is like clearly the favorite. Every time the father sees Joseph, he says, you are my favorite. You're my favorite. The other brothers are great, but you are my favorite. Okay. He receives this robe from his brothers. His brothers soon hate and betray him. Chapter 37, verse 18 says, here comes this dreamer. Come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then midnight traders passed by. They drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt, okay? I want to just jump into the story and just establish he was the favorite son, okay? Robe of many colors. One other thing was that he had a dream that he'd be ruling over his brothers and whole family. He told that dream to his family. They hated him. His brothers seized him one day, took the robe and tore it up threw him into a pit, and then eventually sold him into slavery. They took him to Egypt, okay? This is what happened in Joseph's life so far. Next, in Genesis 39, what happens is, Joseph is not in Egypt very long before he begins to find favor with his uh, master, Potiphar, okay? Soon, he becomes overseer of Potiphar's house. God is with Joseph. God favors Joseph. Joseph is like, hey... You know, I'm here, but he has all this favor. And then that favor doesn't last very long before Genesis 39. Potiphar's wife seduces, tries to seduce, then frames and accuses Joseph for raping her when he never did. He actually chose to walk in righteousness and in the fear of the Lord. Yet she accused him and framed him for doing something. Then he was thrown into prison. All right. Favor pit. Slavery, overseer of house, prison. You guys following with Joseph's life story? Okay. Next, <clears throat> when he was in prison, it says in Genesis 41, verse 37 through 42, um, that that he begins to interpret people's dreams. And then the Pharaoh of all of Egypt says, man, I need to hear about this, Joseph. In verse 37, he says, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people. There is all my people shall order themselves as you command. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. All right, man. It's like one plot twist after another. He is favored pit. Okay. Thrown into slavery grows, gets more favor, more favor in the household, tries to be seduced by Potiphar's wife and then thrown into prison low place again. And then he's soon going, getting favored, getting favored, getting favored. And now he is favored by Pharaoh, even higher than Potiphar. Okay. Every time there was a dip, every time there was a pit, God continued to elevate him. All right. Uh, Many of you guys are aware of Joseph's story, but I wanted to quickly go through it because up until this point, Joseph's story can be any of our stories. What I listed to you is just a sequence of events, a series of things that have happened to Joseph. Okay. He didn't really do anything at this point. He just got a dream from God. He told the dream. He got thrown into a pit. He got a rope. He got elevated. He got a you know what I mean? Like this is just things happening to Joseph. In the same way, guys, we have all been hurt. We have all been wronged. We have all been betrayed. We have all felt pain. We've been accused. We've been forgotten. We've been blamed for things, all right? Maybe we can't identify with all parts of Joseph's story. I don't think we've all been thrown into a physical pit before, okay? You don't have to take it out literally, everyone. But, you know, we've all experienced pits in our life. We've experienced times where things were unfair, unfairly done to us. We've experienced people that we love the most betraying and hurting us, breaking our trust, Right? We know what it's like to experience pain just as Joseph had in some way. And that's part of being alive. You can't be a human and not experience moments of pain and suffering. All right? It's the result of sin. It's a result of the fall. It's the human condition. Okay? But at this point in Joseph's story, there is also a decision that he eventually had to make. Okay? And it's the same decision that we all get to make as well. One path glorifies self and the other path glorifies God. All right. And one path enthrones man's definition of justice and the other path enthrones the God who is justice himself. And all of us have things happen to us. All of us have good and bad things happen to us. Okay. But we all get to make a choice. About who will be glorified, self or God? Okay, and I'm going to explain what that choice looks like. <clears throat> I want us to uh, actually look at a clip at this moment, um, and our amazing crew member Sharon is going to pull it up for us. But can you guys see over this? Can po- I move it, or are you guys good? Is good? You can see the screen. No. So,
1: this all seems horrible. I've seen worse. Sorry. No, we could use a little worse. Stuck. we got him. Banner? Just like you said. Then tell him to suit up. I'm bringing the party to you.
0: I, I don't see how that's a party.
1: Dr. Banner, now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry.
0: Now might be a good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. Okay? And later on, he says, Now go smash, Hulk. Okay? And, um, you know, like, this clip, I just want to share it because, because, I mean, I like this movie, but also, um, it kind of glorifies what vengeance, payback, and avenging looks like, right? I mean, that's the basis of the entire movie. It's not just they're avenging, you know, humanity and the world as we know it against these aliens, like, and, I, and I'm not saying we should not ever um, take arms up against evil leaders or whatever, okay? I'm not saying pacifism is the way to go, but what I am saying is that this whole premise is about avenging things. It's the name of um, the group. It's the name of the movie, right? And it also glorifies humanity's version of vengeance. It glorifies it. This is the way the world deals with vengeance and justice. But as you get to know each character more in the different movies and in the different like side stories and the romances and the friendships that take place in this movie, um, you know that they all have really messed up pasts. You know that they come from a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of betrayal. They all have different stories. And when they come back together, they're not just fighting for the good of humanity and justice, but they're also giving vengeance and enacting vengeance against people who've hurt them. Okay? It's a personal thing. They're repaying the evil that was done to them by giving vengeance to their enemies. All right? It's the premise of the entire series. And the name of the heroes denote a wrong that's been done and a payback for that wrongdoing. And uh, what I want to talk about tonight is to prove to you that through the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ, no matter how great the world tries to portray vengeance and payback in such a glorified way, the Avengers always lose. Everybody say, the Avengers always lose. I also want us to leave here knowing that we all get a choice to make. We can choose to be avengers or we can choose to be avenged, okay? Um, And if we pick back on Joseph's story in Genesis 41, we see that Joseph began to make a series of choices that show us that he didn't choose to avenge and take justice into his own hands, but he, cho- he chose to be avenged by God, okay? If we look at verse 51 and 52, by this point, Joseph gets married and he begins to have children, all right? And the name that he, chose- he chooses, the name he chooses to give to his sons is very indicative of what choices he's making in his heart, all right? Verse 51 says, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second son he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Okay. Now, remember this man. He had everything. Comfort, safety, favor, love, a good family. The people closest to him that he loved the most threw him into a pit, and betrayed him, sold him into slavery. You guys may be homesick. You guys may be far from your homes, far from your families. Yeah, so is Joseph. He knows what it's like to be far away from the people that you love. But back then, there was no Skype. There was no Facebook or Kakao Talk or whatever it is that we use, you know, hate talk, Snapchat, whatever. We have so many ways to communicate with people that are oceans away. But Joseph, when he was sold into slavery and taken, to Egypt. He never had a promise from God. He never had a way to be able to communicate with them again or think that he could ever see them. This was a big deal for Joseph. Okay. He's stripped of everyone he loves the most after he was betrayed. And then he's taken to another land. You can imagine the pain that he feels, the suffering that he feels, the betrayal that he feels. Okay. And then as soon as he gets, life gets a little bit better. If he didn't curse God already when he was in a pit, life gets a little better. And this woman says, you know, Joseph, you look so good. Lay with me. And he runs away. He runs away. You can imagine what it's like to be tempted as a a single young man, right? He runs away from her. And then she still accuses him of raping her. All right? He chose to do what's right before God, and then he gets thrown into prison. He gets framed, and at that point, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I would be tempted to be like, God, what's up right now? What is up? You know, I was just born. I can't help it that my dad loved me so much. Why do they have to throw me into a pit? Why they have to betray me? You know, why, why this woman lie about me when I chose to do what's right? God, what's going on? I would be, I would begin to question God. I would begin to question His plan for my life, His goodness over my life. I would doubt His sovereignty. I would doubt His goodness. And that's God, okay? If someone asked me about that woman, I would be so mad. You know what? Oh my gosh. I would be so mad at her and I would be up at night in prison thinking, about if I saw her again, what evil things would I say? You're ugly, you know? You have an, uh, you're a mean person. Those are, those are the only things I have. But you can imagine what, what would fill up our minds in the prison after we've been framed and accused and blamed for something when we actually chose to do what's right, right? Many of us would get bitter and cynical and hatred would just stir up in our hearts. And we'd think, what the heck? If I chose to do what's right, before God, and I get thrown into prison, what's the point? What's the point? When I get out of here, I'm going to do whatever I want, live however I want, right? And when I see her again, I'm going to have some words to say to her. When I see my brothers again, I'm going to just lay my hands on them and strangle their net whatever. Joseph could have harbored a lot of payback scenarios in his mind, okay? He could have joined the League of Avengers here and avenged himself for the evil that has been done to him. And no one would have blamed him because I think that we all have this idea of what is okay. What's not okay. You know, we shouldn't do evil to each other. We should be nice to each other. We should tolerate each other. And so we kind of all would be like, Joseph, if you in prison had hatred in your heart towards this woman and your brothers, that's a okay. You, they deserve it. They are wrong. They did you wrong. Okay. And if you went up to Potiphar's wife and you said, Hey lady, you are messed up. That's a okay. She is, you know, we, we would not mind it that much if Joseph took vengeance into his own hands because this is wrong stuff, right? We wouldn't blame him because we all have this sense of what is right and wrong in our hearts. But Joseph, the first time that we hear about anything that indicates what's happening in his heart, we see that he has named his son, God has made me forget all my hardship. Wow. His second son, Ephraim, means God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And it makes us wonder, what did Joseph meditate on? All those moments in the pit, on the way to Egypt, when he was handcuffed in shackles, enslaved, in, enslaved by Midianite, Midianite traitors, all those nights in the prison cell, what was Joseph thinking about? Was he up at night, like I sometimes am, thinking about scenarios when I could tell somebody off? Or was he thinking, God, you are the God who makes me forget all the hardship and affliction You're the God who delivered me from that pain. You're the God who makes me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Because the first chance he gets, he opens up his mouth and names his sons, forgetting hardship, and God has made me fruitful. He didn't name them, my brother sold me into slavery and threw me into a pit and tore up my robe of many colors. My life sucks child number two. This woman is crazy. I should never, ever do what's right before man and God because it doesn't matter anyway. Okay. He didn't name them that. If that was the meditation of his heart and mind, that's what he would have named them. Because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. Okay. Time passed. A famine then came to the land. People flocked to Joseph and Egypt for food and Eventually, the famine got so bad that his own family, his brothers, made the trek to Egypt to get food, okay? And this is what Joseph says upon meeting his brothers for the first time after all this time has passed. Genesis 45, verse 4 through 8 says, Joseph says to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, "I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to the, to the Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Verse 14, then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. Again, later on in Joseph's life, he says to his brothers, um, chapter 50, verse 18 through 21. His brothers came and fell down before Joseph and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Okay? First time he sees the brothers that caused him All the pain, all the misery, all the suffering. The brothers that clearly did wrong to him and deserved to be hated by him. They come bowing before him in a time of need and famine. And if Joseph had harbored evil intent and hatred in his heart against these people who clearly deserve it, he would say, forget you. You threw me into this pit and now look at me, I'm in power. Why would I help you? get out of my face. Or more likely he would have them killed, right? He's in power now. He doesn't need them. He could do whatever he wants to them. They were completely in his hands at that point. No one would have blamed him for paying his brothers back. No one would have blamed him for avenging the evil done against him. It's completely normal. It's human, right? It's just like me putting bubble gum in my brother's hair when he cut off my Barbie doll's hair, but in a larger scale. Okay. Um, but do you think Joseph chose to be an avenger, avenge himself, or do you think he chose to be avenged? What do you think? Yeah, good woman over here in the purple leggings. Nice. Was that you who said it? What's your name? Purple. Yeah. What's your name? Oh, what's your name? Anyway, it's okay. (laughs) She's like, I didn't say it. (laughs) Oh, what's your name? Rina. Nice to meet you. Okay. Thank you for answering. That was correct. Okay. He chose, he chose to not pay someone back. He chose to let God avenge him. Okay. And Joseph's process in two steps was this. If we could sum up all his time in the pit, in prison, being framed and whatever, his process was this. Number one, he let go. Everyone say, he let go. He let it go, okay? Step two is that he trusted God. Everyone say, he trusted God. It seems like Joseph didn't spend all his time dwelling and obsessing on the wrong that had been done to him, though a lot of wrong had been done as if the pit and slavery wasn't bad enough. When the lady frames him on top of that, he didn't get bitter still. I feel like at that point, it was like the ultimate test. Like maybe you, you were able to not dwell and obsess over being thrown into the pit, but now, you know, now when you're accused and framed and thrown into prison, now let's see if you're still going to, take vengeance into your own hands, or if you're still going to walk in the fear of the Lord and let God avenge you. And Joseph continued to choose the latter, right? He continued to let go. He continued to trust God. Inside Joseph's heart, he didn't harbor unforgiveness, hatred, blame, offense towards his brothers or God or life. Okay. He let it go. He blessed. He forgave. He remembered that he belonged to God and that God was ultimately for him. In the pit, on the way to Egypt, in handcuffs, in the prison cell, he did not have a blueprint from God saying, on this day, at this time, you will be freed, and then I will exalt you to be the right hand of Pharaoh, and then your brothers will come back and bow at your feet, and then everything will be okay, and you'll be reunited. He didn't have that game plan, but even without it, being in the dark, he still had confidence in God. He still would not allow himself to doubt God's sovereignty and control. He still knew I belong to the father. And even though all of this stuff has happened to me, I still trust that he's in control and that he will work this out. I don't know how he will work this out, but he will because he's for me. His faith and trust in God, the father did not waver when it was difficult and when it was hard. And that is a choice. That Joseph made every day of his life. That was not a product of what was done to him. Okay, He could not control what his brothers did to him. He could not control what this woman did to him. He could not control the favor of God either. But all he could control was his response to it and whether he would choose to bless God or curse God. Whether he would choose to bless his brothers and this woman or curse his brothers and this woman. Whether he would choose to let God avenge him or if he would take it into his own hands and pay them back for what they did. That's the choice Joseph could make. And that's the choice that all of us can make as well. Romans 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Never avenge yourself. Why does God say that? Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because God's vengeance, God's justice, God's avenging of what's been done against you is far greater far more glorious, far more intense and fearful, but also far more just than what we can understand or conceive, okay? Instead of getting bitter, angry, doubtful of God, Joseph attributed everything to be under the sovereign will of God and under his control. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Why do we not take vengeance into our own hands? Because we do not know the sovereign will of God. We don't know the very end and all the details to get there. We don't know the, the way that God is going to work all of this out. We don't know justice like God knows justice. And part of belonging to God says, I give up control. I don't need to know. And I know your ways are higher than mine. If Joseph thought that his ways were higher than God's, he would have said, you know what? No one's looking out for me. No one's in control here. I better enact justice. I better take vengeance. I better do whatever is best for me because no one else is. But Joseph walked in a revelation every day that God was alive, that God was a living God. He feared God and he said, God, you know, what's been done to me, you know, you know it, God. And I know that you're a God of justice. I know that you're a God of justice and your vengeance is far greater than mine, whatever I could do to somebody. And so he let go and he chose to trust God. He chose to bless and not curse. Okay. Elizabeth Elliot said, "Choices will continually be necessary, and let us not forget possible. Obedience to God is always possible. It is a deadly error to fall into the notion that when feelings are extremely strong, we can do nothing but act on them. God is God." I dethrone him in my heart if I demand that he act in ways that, are, that satisfy my idea of justice. It is the same spirit that taunted Jesus. If you are really the son of God, come down from the cross. There is unbelief. There is even rebellion in the attitude that says, God has no right to do this to me. Okay? This is a woman who gave her life to be a missionary with her husband. And the tribe, the people group that they were ministering to, ended up murdering her husband. She forgave them and went back and ministered there. And then the whole people group were saved. Okay. She married again. And this husband died of cancer. Okay. Like a lot of horrible things happened to her, but so much wisdom about the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God comes out of her, her writing. Okay. comes out of her ministry. What Elizabeth Elliot was saying here is that you are much more powerful than you think. You are not the powerless recipient of bad breaks and difficult situations, okay? You are a powerful agent with choices in front of you. Remember the Hulk? It said, Dr. Banner, it's time for you to get angry. And he says, that's my secret. I'm always angry. And, because, and you guys know that he sometimes gets so mad and then no matter where he's at, the green monster comes out, right? If he gets ticked off, he just gets infuriated and then he breaks through all his clothes and then he just smashes things. He can't control the things he does when he feels a strong emotion. And what Joseph shows us, what the word of God shows us and what Elizabeth Elliot is, is, is referring to here is, actually, no, no matter how strong your emotion of pain or anger or hatred is, You don't have to be controlled by how you feel. You actually still have a choice. And what if the things that are done to you and the things people do to you, good or bad, they don't control your emotions and your feelings. What if you're in control here and you can choose what you do from that moment on and you can't blame anybody else anymore? If you're a bitter person and you're cynical, you don't trust people, you can't connect with God and other people. Maybe it's time to stop blaming the people who hurt you. And maybe it's time to remember, hey, actually, I'm a little bit more powerful than I give myself credit for. I can't control what they did, but I can control what I do from this moment on. You don't want to give people more power than they actually have, right? You don't have to turn into an ugly green monster because you can't control your emotions and smash things around you, all right? Only you get to make a decision to not let evil and wickedness come into your heart or out of your mouth. You can't control the actions and decisions of others. You can only control yourself. And um, there is a story of a debtor in Matthew 18. And basically, this story is one of my favorites. There's a man, and he owes um, his master, let's say, a million dollars. Okay, And he's not a very rich man. He could never pay back his master a million dollars. His master says, I'm going to throw you into prison because you owe me and you can't pay me back. The man pleads and says, Master, please don't do that. I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. Even though he couldn't ever pay his master back. His master says, I'm canceling your debt. You don't have to go to prison. Okay? This servant of that master who just got his debt canceled leaves. And then he goes and finds one of his own servants who owe him about a hundred bucks. And then he sa- it says in the, in the, in the word of God that he took his servant by the neck and strangled him and says, you wicked and la- you wicked and lazy servant, you know, you wicked and lazy servant, you're going to be thrown into prison. You and your whole household until you can pay me back this hundred bucks. Okay. And then the first master says, I canceled your debt of a million dollars, a sum that you could never repay me. But then you left here, you left this whole moment of mercy and grace. And then the moment you found someone who owes you a hundred bucks, you strangle them and demand that they pay you back. You wicked and lazy servant, I'm going to throw you into prison now. And then Jesus ends it and he says, so God will do unto you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. Whoa. All right, man. Jesus' stories are legit, huh? They're real. He just cuts to the chase. Colossians 3.13 says, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And I want you to think about, how has the Lord forgiven you? How has the Lord forgiven you? So we are called to forgive other people. In the same manner that God has forgiven us, we forgive other people. All right? And it says in the Bible many things about the forgiveness of God. It says he's wiped our sins from us. That he's separated us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. That he keeps no record of our wrongs. When he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ given to us. That by his blood, we're cleansed of all sin. He's canceled all debt. We don't get punishment and judgment when we deserved it because Jesus took it on the cross. That's how he forgave us. And he says, as he forgave you, you forgive other people. Now, that's not really possible for us, but that's the standard that the Bible asks us to really strive for in forgiving, in forgiving other people, right? And it's the complete opposite of how the world sets us up to glorify vengeance and taking justice into our own hands, right? Since it's a commandment, when we don't forgive, we actually sin against God. Unforgiveness puts us in bondage. In this passage, it says that the man was turned over to jailers, and this can be symbolized as tormenting spirits, okay? Unforgiveness separates us from experiencing connection, love, intimacy with God and others. And oftentimes, people feel disconnected with God. They say, I can't, I feel like I'm hitting a wall every time I pray. Every time I praise, I don't feel God's presence. I don't feel like I can get closer to him. Or they feel like they have trouble connecting with other people. And I would say most of the time, unforgiveness is the root of that disconnection. There's offense in their heart towards God or towards people. Unforgiveness is the root of bitterness and of so many other things that keep us in bondage. Unforgiveness also moves us from a place of grace and mercy to a place of judgment and wrath again. When we become believers, we enter into mercy and grace. It means that we receive a gift that we did not work for or earn in our own power and ability, we receive the righteousness of Christ, where the life of Christ is exchanged for our broken lives, right? And then when that exchange is made, we are walking in mercy and grace. But when we choose to be judge again, when we choose to take vengeance into our own hands, when we choose to hold unforgiveness in our heart towards someone, we move ourselves from mercy and grace back into the level of wrath and judgment. God says, There's no judge here anymore, except for me. And I say that you are free, that you are pure, that you're righteous by the blood of my son. But if you want to play judge, okay, you can play judge. But now the flow of God's grace and mercy into your life is now cut. And your experience of God's love is, is, is cut as well. It's cut off. God still loves you. You're, you're still saved if you hold on forgiveness in your heart. But the connection you have with him is lost. Your experience of his love, of relationship with him, it's not there anymore. Forgiveness does not mean that you're forgetting or ignoring what happened. Like Joseph said, you meant it for evil. You sold me into slavery. He was fully aware of what his brothers did. Okay, He wasn't in denial He wasn't stupid, all right? He was fully aware that what happened was wrong, but he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, okay? He didn't forget what happened to him or deny that it happened or deny that it was evil, but he blessed them anyway. Our hurt, our pain, our abuse, rejection, betrayal, whatever it is, we're not called to just pretend it never happened or that it's okay. God's heart burns against people, and things that come against his beloved sons and daughters, okay? It's not okay. But forgiveness does mean you make a choice to cancel the debt owed to you. You release people. You release bitterness. You release anger. You pardon people of the sin and of the wrongdoing. I can say that from my own story, I'll, I'll share it another time, but if I had never experienced some of the most difficult Pits and valleys and prison situations of my life. I would not have known God in the way that I, I know him now. And I'm not saying I would choose difficulties. And Joseph wouldn't choose difficulties for yourself. You don't go around looking for it. But if it happens, it's an opportunity for you to understand the sovereignty, the goodness, the comfort, the healing of God. If I had never had a heart that was completely wrenched and broken, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know that there's nothing you can do to your heart that God cannot heal. If I had not experienced my dad's passing away, I wouldn't have known that God can comfort a mourning heart like no one else can. These are moments and opportunities. If we choose to let God take vengeance and let go of bitterness, hatred, anger, God can show up. And he can turn it around for our good and all for his glory. Amen. If you take vengeance into your hands, you also take anger, hatred, bitterness, unforgiveness. You block your relationship with God and you are cursing and poisoning yourself. But if you choose what Joseph chose to let it go and trust God, you let God act on your behalf. God heals your heart and sets you free. God turns it all around for his glory. And God brings life and hope and fruit from that place of pain. Joseph said, he has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. All right. There was another man that Joseph was merely a type and foreshadow of. And this man walked and ate and taught and lived life with a couple of men for three years. He washed their feet and humbled himself. And even to the man that would later betray him with a kiss, he washed his feet and broke bread with him. All of them promised not to betray him, to stand with him to the end. But each of them turned their back on him in his most crucial and difficult hour. Yet hanging on the cross, Jesus said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they are doing. And because of what he's done, we are all given the grace and power and choice to forgive and release other people of their debt as well. For as he has forgiven us, so we are called to forgive other people and release debt that they owe us. Because of Jesus, we can bless and not curse. We can let God avenge us and not take vengeance into our own hands. And I believe that in light of all God has forgiven us of, God is really calling us to let go and to trust him tonight. And if I can have someone um, on the keys or guitar, I want us to spend a little bit of time praying.